Joining us today on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series is a professor of economic history from the London School of Economics, Albert Ritzel. Professor Ritzel, thank you for joining us today on our program. My pleasure. And to get us started, share a few words about yourself and your academic background. I'm originally from Germany. Um, I'm an economist by training, veered off into economic history during my PhD and have been um, working on this subject uh, throughout my career. Um, I'm a specialist on uh, Germany's interwar depression and uh, to some extent on the Nazi economy of the 1930s and 1940s. And let's talk specifically about the war debts, which many believe Germany owes Greece and other countries as well. Many people are not aware about the occupation loan that the Nazi regime forced Greece to give uh, during the World War II period. Tell us a few words, a brief history, if you will, about this issue. The very basics of this are that um, uh, Germany exacted a forced loan from uh, the Bank of Greece during the occupation and uh, that forced loan was not paid back. There was probably no intention to. uh, What we had here was an attempt to disguise, to camouflage, so to speak, uh, occupation cost as a forced loan. And uh, this loan had obviously several bad aspects. Uh, It fueled uh, hyperinflation in Greece, which was already on the way due to the occupation, due to the uh, previous Italian occupation, um, to most importantly drained uh, Greece of vital resources, um, uh, led to a uh, a further decline, catastrophic decline in economic activity. It uh, probably did uh, nothing to make the German occupation uh, in any way less less, uh, unpopular than it had been before. uh, stiffened the resolve of uh, of Greek's resistance. So it did all kinds of, uh, of very tragic and bad things. And did the Nazis also extract forced loans from other countries that they occupied during this period? Yes, this was a very common and widely used instrument. Just to explain a little bit what was going on, the Nazis um, uh, implemented a fixed exchange currency system in the occupied countries, manipulating, managing exchange rates to the Reichsmark, to the German currency at the time, more or less at will. That system was centralized at Germany's central bank, the Reichsbank in Berlin, uh, through a system of uh, of short-term accounts. Uh, like overdraft accounts, and Germany went into overdraft uh, with respect to the occupied countries that created the the illusion of payment. So when French, uh, when when German officers went into French factories, to Belgian factories, to Dutch factories, those were the three countries where Germany got most of its uh, resources out and requisitioned machinery uh, or raw materials or whatever. They would pay. And these payments would then essentially be credited uh, to the account of their respective national banks at the Reichsbank. The forced loan from Greece followed a very similar pattern. Now, as I have already said, the vast bulk of uh, these loans were essentially from Western Europe. Greece, due to the small size of its economy, was only a very, very small part of this. Nevertheless, of course, um, uh, the effects on the Greek economy were devastating. Now, what happened after the end of World War II as far as the forced loans from Greece and the other countries were concerned and the reparations and the repayments of the German war debts in general? 
Uh, you will be surprised to hear that nothing happened. And the reason is the following. After the Allied invasion and the collapse of the Nazi regime, the first thing the occupation authorities did was to block all kinds of claims by and against the German government under the legal fiction that the German government and the German uh, state didn't exist anymore. And the question was then what to do with it as soon as new state structures were created in the late 1940s. And that was highly controversial because many of the governments in Western Europe were saying we are all too happy to restart trade and some sort of economic relationships with occupied Germany and by the way we still have these uh, unsettled uh, clearing accounts with the Germans. How about the Germans just, just delivering goods to us in order uh, to run down their deficits on these accounts? And that became a major policy concern with the occupying powers, especially with the Americans, as the Americans were quite worried that in the end, the occupied um, zones of Germany, the occupation zones of Germany, would bleed out economically through a, such a system of repayment of the war loans, and that America essentially then would have to restock or refuel Germany. Why they were so worried about this has to do with the um, history of reparations after World War One, when something similar was put in place after the end of the German hyperinflation. It was an American scheme for stabilization of the German economy called the DOS plan, which essentially did the following thing. Germany would pay reparations to um, the Western allies and America would provide financial assistance to Germany. That scheme between 1924 and 1929 kind of went out of hand and led to basically America bankrolling Germany's reparations. So the Americans after World War II were extremely worried about a repetition of this thing about kind of stepping into the same financial trap again. So what they did was to block all these things. And how did they block it? Through an ingenious and slightly malicious device. Whichever country wanted to receive martial aid from the Americans under the Marshall Plan had to sign a waiver waiving all kinds of financial claims against Germany from World War II against martial aid, which means that this would not be entirely blocked, but it would have to be put on hold. All these claims would have to be put on hold until post-war Germany had paid off its um, martial aid um, that it received from the United States um, back to the United States. In technical terms, what that did was to make reparation uh, and, uh, and credit claims against Germany from World War II to make that junior second rank, lower in rank, to martial assistance to Germany. And as everybody wanted to get martial aid from America, everybody grudgingly signed these waivers. So the situation during the Marshall Plan period was that all these debts still existed on paper, but they were worthless in the sense that the debt was blocked. And what is the total amount of war debt that Germany said to owe Greece and also the other countries as well? The debt to Greece was to the tune of a little bit less than 500 million Reichsmarks. Total debt um, to Western Europe on clearing accounts was about 30 billion Reichsmarks. Now, this doesn't sound like a lot, but it becomes a little bit more meaningful if I tell you that this is about a third, the grand total is about a third of Germany's national product in 1938, the last year before Germany started World War II. Now, that is not the only debt because 
um, Germany manipulated the value of the debt through this system of split exchange rate that it had under its own total control. So there are calculations done by German government officials towards the end of um, World War II, so still under Nazi rule, where they tried to figure out what is actually the realistic value of all this debt that we have incurred in Western Europe or in occupied Europe. And there they arrived at a figure that was closer to 80 or 90 billion. And that gets very close to Germany's um, um, national product of 1938, let's say about 85 to 90 percent. And now we are talking really big sums, because just to give you an idea, uh, Germany's national product last year was um, uh, somewhere above 2 trillion euros. So let's take 90% of that. We are still above 2 trillion euros, just to give you an idea of what that debt back then was relative to Germany's um, economic potential. So it, was, it was 90%. And is there any way to quantify that debt and its value today if we adjusted for inflation and for the changes in value over the past several decades? There are several ways of doing it. What I just did is one way of doing it. And here we would say uh, the grand total of that debt, if we take German GDP as the yardstick and don't try deflating it, but just say the total the value of the debt measured as a percentage of Germany's um, GDP, of total output of the economy in one given year, would today be over two, over 2 trillion euros. And we are speaking with uh, Professor Albert Ritzel of the London School of Economics here on the Alagos Radio and the the Alagos interview series. Professor Ritzel, what has Germany's argument been historically and also in the present day regarding the issue of the war debts and the reparations? There was an important interim step, which was um, the uh, uh, London Agreement on German debt. In the early 1950s, some negotiations were started between West Germany and the uh, creditor countries about what to do with all this. And uh, a solution was found basically imposed again by the Americans and to some extent by the British, a solution was found that did two things. First, it would lump together these uh, war debts with reparations, which is not an innocuous step to take. And second, it used a slightly fuzzy language, which is open to interpretation, that was saying that settlement of these issues would be postponed to until after future German reunification. Why are these two things important? The first thing is um, if you lump together this war debt with German reparations, you basically create one big pot. And there is no doubt that Germany paid very substantial attention reparations in kind after World War II, basically through two elements. One was forced deliveries that was especially important for what later became East Germany. And second, through cutting of the territories which are now, are now parts of Poland and to a small extent of Russia, which could all be termed reparations in kind. So if you lump together these war debts with reparations in kind, then the balance is probably a little bit lo lower simply because because um, these reparations in kind were no doubt quite substantial. The other thing is this fuzzy language postponing settlement of these things to until after German unification. Because the big question then became whether this clause, Article 5 of the London Agreement, would become binding after the German unification, which did indeed take place in 1990. At the present time, we hear a lot in the press and the media about the German economic success story, about German fiscal responsibility compared to the supposed irresponsibility of the Southern European countries such as Greece. But you, however, have argued that Germany was the biggest debt transgressor of the 20th century. Why do you believe this is the case? Well, we just can do the numbers. And I already um, we already talked about these war debts um, being almost equal, like 90% or something like this of 
of Germany's um, economic output in the last uh, pre-war year when the German economy was running at full employment. So this was essentially uh, never paid back. Plus we have Germany's internal public debt, which was uh, all but wiped out, not entirely wiped out, in a currency reform undertaken by the Americans in the western zones of occupied Germany and by the Soviets in the eastern zone of occupied Germany in 1948. Uh, the Soviets wiped out uh, Germany's uh, internal public debt entirely. The Americans wiped it out by 85%. Now, if we kind of add everything up and try to um, to come up with a super grand total of German debts, both internal and external, wiped out in the currency reform and in the London Agreement, we arrive at a figure which is roughly, and this is very very rough, but just to have uh, to have um, some sort of an idea, which is roughly four times Germany's national product. So to provide this in um, values of today, if we accept that Germany's national product is somewhere to the tune of two point something trillion um, euros, which is um, beyond two and a half trillion US dollars, we would be talking about a debt default and debt forgiveness uh, somewhere in the range of. Uh, 10 trillion dollars. I would tend to think that this is probably unrivaled in uh, 20th century history. Is there any movement or any activism that you are aware of in Germany at the present time to raise awareness about the issue of the war debts and the war reparations? There is um, uh, relatively little to explain that. Let's delve a little bit into the legal position at the time of Germany's unification in 1990. Germany received this kind of baptism certificate for a unified Germany, which is incredibly subtly worded and whose um, only purpose was apparently to prevent reparation or restitution claims against unified Germany being raised on the grounds of the fact that there is a unified German uh, state now and that something like Article 5 of the London Debt Agreement could all of a sudden be reactivated. The German point of view is essentially that this so-called 2 plus 4 treaty of 1990 is uh, not making any mention of reparations and of wartime debts of Nazi Germany. And given the fact that this issue is not covered by the treatment or by the treaty, the issue is essentially dead. This has been has consistently been the position of the German government, which is that through the omission of the issue in the 2 plus 4 treaty of 1990, the reparations and war debt issue is basically not just dormant, it is dead and uh, settled forever. Uh, the German position has so far been quite successful. Several attempts to challenge it in the European court have been unsuccessful, and it seems to mean that from a legal standpoint, there is some relatively little chance that this will be um, successfully challenged. Which leads us to the question of why the awareness in Germany of these issues isn't greater. And there is one thing that it gives an indication of that. It's clear that official Berlin has no um, intention to talk about these issues very much because um, lawyers always have a worry, uh, are worried about creating legal precedent for any claims. So um, official Berlin remains mum on these issues. The one who did say something, and it was quite revealing, back then at the time was former German Chancellor Helmut Kohl, who at the time of the negotiations once walked out um, into a press conference and when he was asked about these issues, he said, look, we claim that we cannot pay reparations because if we open this Pandora's box, then given the viciousness and brutality of Nazi warfare, the genocides, there were several genocides that the Nazis um, uh, carried out, given these absolutely horrific facts and the sheer, sheerly unbelievably scale, 
scale of these horrific crimes. Any attempt to um, quantify this and uh, translate it into claims against Germany will either come up with ridiculously low compensation or it is basically going to eat up all of Germany's um, national wealth. And this has consistently been Germany's standpoint ever since, that the damage done by Nazi Germany, not just in terms of morality, in terms of human suffering, but simply in terms of creating material financial damage is so huge that it will simply supersede uh, Germany's capacity to pay. And as an economist, I have to say, I'm afraid this is not entirely far-fetched. There is probably uh, something to it. So what what Helmut Kohl then said next was that instead of trying to open this Pandora's box and going down the route of reparation claims, it would probably be better to um, continue what he viewed at the time as successful economic cooperation within Europe. Back then, this looked good. And it was in those pre-Euro days when everybody was wildly optimistic about the future of economic cooperation in Europe. Now we have become a little bit more realistic about this. But back then, it was probably not entirely unrealistic or unreasonable to think of these issues that way. In your view, what would be the best solution for the Greek and the German governments uh, regarding the war debts and the war reparations issue at this time? The best issue, the best solution would, of course, be to uh, try and depoliticize things to the maximum possible extent. Now, I know entirely that this is entirely unrealistic, simply because it has been political from day one. What I would prefer to do is, instead of giving an illusionary personal opinion on this is probably to provide some directions as to or some forecasts as to where I think the whole issue is going to go. Let me say a few things about, I don't want to evade your question entirely about what I think should be done. I do think that we need much more debt forgiveness and I think we would need it relatively fast. I'm among those who are quite worried about the political situation in Greece right now. The Greek government is quite clearly the servant of two masters. One is the electorate in Greece, which understandably and quite obviously obviously is uh, not pleased with the situation, to say the very least. And the other master is uh, are, are the international creditors led by Germany and to a lesser extent by the IMF. And quite clearly, the interests, at least in the short term, of the creditors and of Greece's population are not aligned. They are quite contrary to each other. It puts the Greek government in a terrible situation. I'm worried about it I mean, for the future of democracy in Greece. And I'm worried about it as a German for two reasons. First, because of the historical responsibility that Germany cannot deny. And second, because Germany once went through a very, very similar experience. And that experience was the end of the reparation problem after World War I in the Great Depression of the 1930s. The German government had been made to pay reparations under a very strict scheme. This scheme, the Young Plan, started in 1929. It was tough, tough and tough. And in many, many respects, it reminds me of what uh, the German finance ministry and the Troika have been imposing on Greece, and the effects were very similar. Decline of um, output to the tune of 25 to 30 percent, mass unemployment, political radicalization. Basically, what the young plan did was to put Nazi boots on the streets. And oh, yes, I'm quite worried about the situation in Greece. And so I do think we should take swift action in order to stabilize Greek democracy. Do I think this is going to happen? I'm a bit skeptical. I'm afraid that two things will happen. First of all, in the end, there will be widespread debt forgiveness, but that all this will come late in the day and that far reaching damage to to Greek democracy will have been done. Well, Professor Ritzel, thank you very much for taking the time to join us on our broadcast today. And thank you very much for sharing your insights with us. Thank you for having me.